it's awesome to be here. I'm really glad to, to be given the opportunity to speak again. If I can, if I can be really honest with you guys, uh, last time I spoke, I was so afraid. I was like shaking in my boots and stuff. And uh, afterwards, I even told my dad, I was like, Dad, please don't make me speak again because it just it's, it's so scary being up here in front of everybody. Uh, and honestly, public speaking has been like one of my greatest fears. But um, just in my own personal time with prayer and stuff, I kind of started to pray and and God kind of showed me that, that me not being up here, me not speaking something that I feel like God is, God is wanting to say, um, is actually allowing fear to defeat me. Um, it's, it's allowing fear to tell me what to do. And so, so I'm up here because I want to tell fear that it doesn't have a place in my heart. I'd rather embrace that power, love, and a sound mind kind of thing, you know. So, so here I am. <laughs> um, it is awesome to be here. I'm so glad to be here. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Nathan. Uh, I am 20 years old, and I have lived in Hermiston for 20 years. So do the math. Um, I've lived here all my life. Uh, if I can be really honest with you guys, I don't think it's a coincidence that I was born and raised here. I don't think that it's a coincidence that, that my parents are pastors here. Uh, it's not a coincidence that I, ha I somehow have this inexplainable, unexplainable passion in my heart for, for the Hispanic community, and Hermiston is half Hispanic. That just doesn't happen. Um, I think that God has an amazing plan for Hermiston, and it goes far beyond me. Wh wherever you're at in life, if you're sitting in this room right now, God has a plan for you here in Hermiston. Um, he has a plan for Hermiston. Our, our mission statement is making Jesus famous in our city one person at a time. And in order to do that, we have to be the church. We have to believe what God says in the word that, that we were called for great things, that we were called to prosper and, and make disciples. Um, so I want to talk, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. But before I get ahead of myself, um, I want us all to turn to Luke 15. And I'm going to pull there, my, pull, pull it up myself. Um, and what I want to be talking, what I want to talk today to you guys about is lost sheep lost sheep because this is a, and this is a this is a passage that seems like very overused and like I can't tell you how many times I heard it in Sunday school and it kind of loses it's like power I guess so I, I just wanted to go over it and maybe we can kind of draw something from it um, in, a, in a new sense today as I read it so so it says Luke 15 starting at chapter 1 it says now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same, this is Jesus speaking. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents, over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. There will be, one, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents, over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. If, if I could get one point across to you today, if there's, if there's one thing you guys remember from my message uh, today, I want you to know that Jesus came for the one. Jesus came for the one. His heart is for, God's heart is for the one. If we, if we make this church, if we make church about, about numbers and having a great show, if we make it about ourselves and, and making our name well known and lifting up our own name, then we've completely missed the heart of God. 
We've completely forgotten the reason he died. He didn't die so that we could have amazing church services filled with thousands of people. He didn't die so that we could put on a great show. He died for the one. He died for the one. The Bible doesn't say that he came to seek and save the, the, the found. It says he came to seek and save the lost. If, if, we, if we make it about ourselves, who I, most of us would consider ourselves found at this point, uh, if, if we make it about ourselves, then we've completely missed the heart of God. There's no rejoicing for us in heaven. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, if we think about our purpose in life, we, we were created, God created us from the beginning for intimacy with him, for worship, for worship. And the whole reason he died on the cross was to restore the image of Christ back inside of us. It was to restore the image that was lost when we, when we took on this sin nature. He died on the cross so that we could, we could have the image of God restored back into our lives and have value placed back into our lives. There's, so what kind of value am I talking about right now? The Bible has a lot to say about you. <laughs> and a lot of times we, we tend to take the verses that have to do with heaven and hell and we make that our goal and we make that our focus um, instead of of actually realizing what the Bible says about us. And so I just have a few written down that the Bible, the Bible says, and if we believe that the Bible is 100% true, then we have to believe this about ourselves. It says, anyone that is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Here's another one. You are the righteousness of Christ. You're holy and blameless. You're a conqueror. You're an overcomer. You're heirs with Christ to the kingdom. You have the keys to the kingdom. You're holy and blameless. See, all these truths are found in the Bible, and, and we, we read these things, and we're, we, we say to ourselves, oh, that's great. That's, like, motivational. That's, that's awesome. I, I hope I can believe that someday. When, when Jesus is saying, this isn't something you should try to be. It's something I've already made you. We, we take these things in the Bible that we think are an identity to live up to, and it's God saying that we are actually already this way, and anything outside of that nature is not us. See, we, we, we talk about value to ourselves and, and we, kinda, we don't understand our full value. We don't understand the, the price that was paid for us. We don't understand what Jesus says about us. And, and so we, we have such a low self-esteem, a low self-image of ourselves because we don't read our word. We don't, we don't know what God says. Um, and even, even Jesus said, he said, I'm the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me and my words, Right? If you abide in me and my words, if you abide in me, if you, if you live in my spirit, if you know me and you believe my words, if you believe the things that I've spoken over you, so, so we have to really, we have to understand that Jesus paid a price for us to more than just get to heaven. He, he paid a price for us to be restored and to know just how much it costs, just how much value we have. The issue is we can't see past our own value we can't, we can't see our own selves as valuable, and so we, we can't even imagine seeing somebody else as valuable. We can't see, imagine seeing somebody else as the lost sheep that has such value, such potential to come into the kingdom and be reconciled back into Christ. We allow our beliefs to be shaped by lies. You know, any, anything, that I did, anything that I mentioned just now, that we are the righteousness of Christ, that, that we, have, we have real value, anything that, that isn't that is a lie. So, so like when you tell yourself, you know what, you're, you're just gonna, you're never gonna be anything. You keep making mistakes. Like if you say this to yourself, you keep making mistakes, you're never gonna be anything. All you're ever gonna do is just work a, a minimum wage job flicking, flipping burgers, you know. 
if we believe that about ourselves, then that's all we'll ever be. But if we believe the truth about what Jesus says in the, in the word, then we can be so much greater. There's so much greater for this. There's so much greater plans for this church than what we can actually believe about ourselves. And our, our mission is not to, our mission is not to just see this about ourselves, but to see it in others, to, to reconcile the lost sheep, the one that was lost and bring them back into a relationship with Christ. But we can't do that if we don't believe that in ourselves, that, that we have value. The Bible says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So we have to love our neighbor before we can love ourselves. because if we don't love ourselves, then how can we love our neighbor the way we love ourselves? We're not going to see value. We're not going to see potential. We're not going to see what Jesus has for them if we can't see what he has for us. It's time that the body of Christ realizes just how much destiny God's placed on each individual. Every single person in this room has potential to be used by God in amazing ways. There's not a single person in this room that God didn't pay a price for. There's not a single person in this room that God doesn't love with all his heart. We need to believe it more than the, more, more than the lies that life wants to tell us that, that we're never going to be anything, that we're always going to be um, failures, mistakes, mistakes waiting to happen. It's time to, it's time to pick up the, the truth and realize the truth. I want to I go also to, to John 4, if you guys could just follow me there. I have a lot of stories because the truth is Jesus showed it so many times that, that his... Uh, his heart was for the one. He, didn't, he showed so much in his, in his relationship with, with people that he didn't care about crowds. He didn't care about fame or popularity. He would drop everything just to go for the one. Everything. And he, paid, he paid for that. He, play, he paid for the one with his life too. But um, I just want to read John 4. It says, uh, I'm going to start at verse 4. Now Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to him to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Uh, The Samaritan woman said, said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw from and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water will give, I will give them will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water, uh, of water welling up inside of them. The woman said, give me this water so that I don't have to get thirsty and I won't have to keep coming back to draw from this well. And he told her, go call your husband and come back. She said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right. You say you have no husband. In fact, the fact is you have had five husbands and the man you're with now is not your husband. And the woman, I'm just going to paraphrase the rest um, just because that's what I really want to point out is the woman says to the woman says to him, you're right. How did you know this? You must be a prophet. And they begin to talk about, about, you know, the Jews and the Samaritans. And, and ultimately she says, when the, when the Messiah comes, he's going to make all things new. And he says, he says, I am the one you're speaking of. I am the Messiah. Um, and so many times I've heard this, this passage and I've only seen it as a woman that lived a sinful life. 
Um, but in order to really understand what, what Jesus was actually saying by the fact that, that you've had five husbands and the one you're with now is not your husband, we have to look at the culture of the time. So, so there was a lot of taboos back in the day. There was a lot of things that you don't do if you're a Jewish man. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people groups you cannot associate with. Um, so first of all, this woman was a Samaritan, which Jews and Samaritans at the time did not talk at all. Second of all, this woman was a woman. <laughs> and at the time, women did not have nearly as much respect. They were actually less educated than male slaves at the time. So, so for Jesus to even talk to her was, was culturally unacceptable. That's just crazy to me. Also, at the end, he even, he even comes out as saying, I am the Messiah. I am the Savior. So, so think about this. This woman, who is not only a Samaritan woman, um, who is not allowed to associate with, with Jews and not even really allowed to be acknowledged in public because she's a woman, is, is meeting with God in the middle of the day. She's meeting with God in the middle of the day. And, and Jesus wasn't trying to point out her sin. He was, he was actually saying, because back in that day, women actually did not have the power to, to be the one to um, arrange the marriage or to actually initiate the divorce. So what Jesus is saying is, is I know that you've been rejected. He's saying, he's saying, five men have rejected you, and the one you're with now won't even marry you. He's saying, he's saying, I know you're rejected, but by the act of Jesus even talking to this woman, he's saying, I accept you. He's saying, I know that, I know that the society calls you rejected. I know that, that where you live is, is that they say that you don't belong. They say that, that you're worthless, that you're not valuable, but I accept you right now. I, I love you. I value you. I see you as the lost sheep, the person who has amazing potential to come to me. I see you as the lost sheep, the person who who maybe they didn't get, right, get it right in the past, but I see such potential to grow. I see such potential to come into the, for you to come into the kingdom and to realize just the plans I have for you, how, how much gold I see in you. There's, there's so many other verses in the Bible um, about, about this very thing. I think of, I think of you know, like, like Zacchaeus, um, Zacchaeus is, Zacchaeus knows about Jesus. He says, he says like, it says that he, he climbs up a tree to see him because the crowds were following him, right? It says the crowds were following him. So, so he climbed up in this tree because he was a shorter guy. He climbed up in this tree and Jesus called him out by name and said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming to your house today. Jesus left the crowds. He left the people that, that already that already had faith in him to follow one sinner, to, to eat with one sinner, to encounter one person that needed him. And, and one encounter with Jesus left Zacchaeus's life completely changed. He said, I'm going to give back everything. I, he said, I'm going to give back everything I've ever stolen to the poor and then some. And Jesus says, Jesus says, salvation has come to this house today. Salvation has come to you. Not because, not because you decided to not because you decided on your own to get it right, but because you realize that, because I am real to you at this point. You see, Jesus, Jesus saw the potential of, of Zacchaeus being, being completely lit on fire for God. John 8 talks about um, Jesus doing his normal thing, you know. Um, he's, he's out casting, casting out demons, healing the sick, you know, your, your basic everyday stuff. And... Uh, and these, these Pharisees, they bring to him a woman and they say, 
they say, uh, they say this woman was caught in the act of adultery. By the law, we have every right to stone her. And, and then they ask him, what should we do? And he gets down and he just starts writing in the dirt. And, and I, I'd imagine, if, if I can put myself there, I'd imagine it was, it was pretty confusing. Like, Jesus is, Jesus is, is there and they're, they're trying to talk to him and he just gets down and writing in the dirt. And there have been a lot of speculations as to like what he was writing, but the truth is it doesn't actually matter what he was writing. It was the act of writing that was, that was what was important. If you think about it, like, like imagine you're talking to somebody Say somebody's like standing right here and they just get down and they just start writing in the dirt. You would, you would feel ignored, right? <laughs> so, so it wasn't what he was writing that was important. It was the act of ignoring the people that wanted to, to give judgment to the woman. It was this, God didn't, Jesus didn't see this as some kind of teaching moment to give the Pharisees. He saw it as, as potential in one woman to leave her life of sin and be free. So, so he's writing in the dirt, and he says, he says, if anybody is without sin, let him throw the first stone. And, and it says one by one they walk away until it's just him and the woman left, and, which, is, which is crazy, like crazy grace. And, and uh, Jesus says, where are your accusers? And she, said, she looks around, and she says, there's nobody. And he says, he says, that's right. No one here accuses you, or no one here condemns you, so neither do I. Go and leave your life of sin. One encounter with Jesus left that woman's life changed forever. He, where he could have, he if, he, if anybody, had every right to stone this woman, but instead he chose to show her grace. It wasn't because he, it wasn't because he had to. It was because he saw the potential of the one, the one lost sheep that needed, that needed saved. The one lost sheep that needed a relationship with him. So you're saying, you're saying, this is great, I get it, like, like we, should, we should value, we should be caring for the one. Um, what does that look like? What, what do I do now? Um, and the best, the best way that I can describe it is, uh, is by giving you a story of my own life. Um, I want to take you guys back to Nathan from when he was in sixth grade, and go ahead and throw that picture up for me. <laughs> All right. So... Thank goodness for growing up. Amen. <laughs> so, so this was me in sixth grade. All right. I, I'm pretty sure in 2008, I kept McDonald's open like during the recession. So I, I mean, I was, I was a big kid. Uh, I was cooler than the Fonz too. I was like amazing. Like I was, uh, my parents don't even know this now. They're going to know now, but I actually had a, I wasn't allowed to have a Facebook and so, so I made a fake one with the name Nacho Libre. That was, that was my fake name. I used it for about two weeks, and then I realized I couldn't add anybody because then I'd get caught, so I just deleted it right there. But um, I was pretty cool. <laughs> so, so back in the hate house, we, we have this, uh, we, we used to love as kids dressing up, and like I would live for Halloween. I think we still have like, we even have the costume box, but I would like... I would love to dress up like on my, I don't even know why, but like on my, on days that I was off of school, I would just go to the costume box and dress up, you know, it's just fun to do. So, uh, so one day I recall this time where I think if, if any of you guys know Toby Mac, the new Toby Mac album had just come out and I was so excited about it. And so, so I get home from school that day. Um, I, I think I had saved up and saved up all my $15 from, from mowing lawns and, 
and I bought myself an iTunes gift card because I didn't have a debit card to buy it from at the time. Uh, and I bought myself an iTunes gift card and, and I bought this Toby Mac album and I was like so excited to listen to it. And, and so I had it downloaded on my, my iPod Nano, you know, it was, it was amazing. Uh, and I'm listening to it and I'm like, man, I got to celebrate this somehow. And, and so I go into the costume box, <laughs> obviously, because that's what you do when you, hear, when you find a new album. I, and there was one song on there that was like more like a rock. I know he does more of like te- contemporary pop, but this song was like more of a rock song. And I remember like reaching through and grabbing like I grabbed this huge black long wig that was like down to my shoulders. And I got this, this big red bandana and I got this, uh, this camouflage vest, just the vest, nothing else. <laughs> and, and so, so I go into my parents' room because they have, they have like the full body mirror, you know, so I can really, so, so I go into my parents' room and I've got my headphones in and I look myself in the eye and I say, Nathan, you were born to rock. <laughs> and and so I crank it up all the way. Back in the day, the, the iPod Nanos, you, you kind of, you know, you roll them to turn them all the way up. So, so I turned it all the way up, and, and I had this rubber guitar, like this blow-up inflatable guitar. And I am just jamming like crazy, you know, like f- hair flying everywhere, sweat flying everywhere. Like I said, I was a big kid. So, so I, had, I had all this stuff going everywhere. And the song gets over. <laughs> the song gets over, and I open my eyes. And there behind me is Pastor Terry. <laughs> and he's doing, and if you, know, if you know us hates, well, if you know Pastor Terry, he does what you call the, the hate smirk. It's like, it's not actually a smile, it's a frown, but it means he thinks it's funny. So it's like, and, and if he does it, it means you're lucky because he's not doing the wheezy laugh that he likes to do right after that. So... <laughs> So, so I'm standing there and I just have no idea what to do because I'm like incredibly embarrassed. I'm like, oh my goodness, like, uh, I just stand, I freeze, I freeze. I don't know what to do. And he just slowly like, like walks away, you know? And <laughs> I thought, oh my goodness, my dad thinks I'm going to hell. <laughs> anyway, uh, as soon as he left, I ripped everything off and put on my normal clothes again. As soon as I could, I like darted to my room. Um, the point of that story, I know it's funny, but the point of that story, I knew that I, because just the knowledge of my father being there, my father being present was enough for me to realize that I needed to change. Our, our jobs as, as Christians in, in a sinful world, our, our, our job, our priority is not to try to convince somebody that they need Jesus. It's to show him to them. It's to show him to them, to make them realize that, that wow, maybe, maybe there's somebody that loves me. Maybe there's somebody that, that, that knows me by name, that knows my heart, that, that sees potential in me, even though they know my weaknesses, they know my guilt, they know my shame, they know my past. So, so our job as Christians is, is to simply present, present uh, our Father to them. We can't bear the, the responsibility alone. If we make it, if we make it about, about us trying to convince somebody to, to be saved, then, then it'll be just as easy for somebody else to convince them to not be saved, to, to lose their faith. 
We have to, we have to present a real genuine Jesus to people that they want to grab onto, that they want to be hungry for, that, that they want to, to have a relationship with. And we can, we can show that with our lives. Just to make this a little bit more personal, and, and I'm going to have the next slide come up. Uh, it's a picture of Freddie. Um, so this is Freddie. A lot of you guys know him. He has since gone off to college and everything like that. Um, but I wanted to make this really personal for you guys. Um, so Freddie and I were coworkers for about a year, and we, we were pretty good friends. You know, it's the movie theater, honestly, it's a fun place to work. So you kind of, you have time to, you know, hang out, have fun. Um, and so, so we had a, an okay relationship at the time. And, and sure enough, Pursuit 2017 rolls around. And I'm thinking like, like, God, you want to see people saved? Like, it was when we did our, our goal to see 100 people saved. And I'm like thinking, man, like, God, I really want to be used by you. I want to, I want to reach these people. And so, so I, go to the, I go to the theater that day for work, knowing that I'm going to work with Freddie. And for some reason, I, it, well, I know why, but like, it was that I let fear defeat me. I wasn't able to actually invite him to church. I let fear tell me what to do where, where I, would, I was thinking to myself, what if he comes and he thinks it's weird? What if he says no right, outright? I, I genuinely let fear defeat me in that moment. And uh, sure enough, uh, the legend, uh, Tino Whitesell over here, ended up inviting him anyway. Uh, and so Freddie comes, get this, this is crazy. Freddie comes and hears the gospel message for probably the first time, accepts Jesus the first night he comes. Weeks, af- weeks upon weeks after that, he has incredible encounters with God every Sunday in the back before prayer. I, I watch him just encounter the love of Jesus every week. Like he's hungry for this thing. He, he ends up inviting his, his girlfriend. His girlfriend gets saved. And his, his girlfriend and his family end up, or his girlfriend and him end up inviting both of their families and they come on a consistent basis. Um, they came on a consistent basis for like six months. And I mean, since then, since then Freddie has, has moved on to college and he's, he's um, tearing it up there. He's plugged into a church. Last month, he actually went on his first missions trip. Isn't that crazy? This is what the one looks like. This is what potential looks like. Where, where, where I let fear defeat me, somebody else came along and said, you know what, I care more about this person's potential than I do my fear. I care more about, about this person's salvation, this person's life, this person's value than I do about my own self. I see, I see value in this person, not just to, to get saved and go to heaven, but live an extremely blessed life, a life full, fully empowered by the Holy Spirit. 